We are listening to Sword and Pen, a military veterans in journalism podcast show. Good morning, afternoon, and evening. My name is Drew Lawrence. I am your host for Sword and Pen, a military veterans in journalism podcast. And today we have a very special guest. He is currently a politics journalist at the Salt Lake Tribune. He is a former Army officer, uh, OEF vet, but as we're about to learn, he is so much more than that. Jeff Parrott, thank you so much for for being here with us. I I really appreciate you taking the time. Drew, it's great being here with you. Yeah. So I want to ask um, a lot about local journalism and regional journalism. We'll, We'll get to that because I think it's such an important topic, especially for veterans trying to get into media. But just so our audience knows you, first question I wanna ask is, who is who is Jeff Parrott? Man, Jeff Parrott is still learning a lot about journalism. I've been doing this for three or so years now. This has been the best career I've had since getting out of the military. Um, I kind of feel like I'm at home. So Jeff Parrott's at home. That's awesome. And so I guess, what kind of landed you in this home? Have you always noted, like, wanted to do journalism? Did you know that this was going to be your home that you eventually landed at? Or was it kind of a, a, uh, a strayed path that got you here? Uh, it, I, journalism was not something I always thought I wanted to do. I think it was something I always respected and enjoyed. I've, I've been on New York Times subscriber since undergrad, which was a few years ago. I knew I wanted to join the military. I think for a lot of us that graduated, you know, in the early 2000s, you know, I watched 9-11 from my freshman English classroom. Um, I think I knew I was going to join the military, but didn't have a whole lot of plan after that. And then as I got out of the military in 2013, um, and getting out of Afghanistan in 2012, I, I thought the war was over. And so I, you know, like it's time to move on to do something else. And then, um, as you said, it's kind of been like a, it's been a long path to get to journalism. Uh, but I am really happy to be here. I finally feel like I, this is something I can dive into and it feel it, it feels a lot like how it did putting on a uniform where like being in the military certainly feels like part of your identity um, in a good way. And journalism has certainly given me that. Just going back to the military portion, just to kind of touch on that, what what made you want to join the military? And, you know, why? Because you were a, a, a Seaburn officer, right? I was by trade, yeah. Yeah, so what? So tell me a little bit about that. Why Why join that and why, why that uh, specialty? Um, I think, can I, can we go back a step to get there? Um, so I went to college right after high school in 2005. Both my parents were educators, public school teachers, insisted I go to college. I, you know, at 17 and 18, I still thought I had to listen to them. And so I went, went off to college, found the ROTC after you're enjoying the ROTC um dislocated my shoulder at airborne school like not on a jump but like doing laps at the pool at Benning and that really like sidetracked me from like wanting to be like the gung-ho infantry officer because I couldn't I like thought like my military career was done I had to have like a huge surgery on my shoulder um that kind of like got me like mentally out of it 
and the ROTC Lieutenant Colonel at the University of Akron really kind of like kept me under his wing and tried to keep me motivated and like probably could have kicked me out of the ROTC, but didn't. And he was a Seaburn guy and he had done all kinds of cool stuff, not related to, and sometimes related to the chemical world. And I felt like I owed it to him to like join like the Seaburn Corps. And so that was ended up being like my number one pick. Um, thankfully, after graduating from the Seaburn School at Fort Leonard Wood, I got attached or I got assigned to um, the cavalry, like 110 Cav out of Fort Carson and just loved the cavalry. So I felt like I got the best of both worlds. I got to like give some homage to Lieutenant Colonel Young. And then I got to link up with um, the cavalry community that really embraced me. They called me like the combat chemo, which was <laughs> like really endearing. That's awesome. That is endearing. Um, yeah. And so was there a specific experience that, you know, you, we talked a little bit about finding a home in journalism. Was there a time where you, you know, you got to 110 Cav and you felt yourself at home there? Um, yeah, I had really great lieutenants that I became really close to that I still talk to um kind of like that lieutenant class that like the unit gets before they deploy and so like we all kind of got to the unit at the same time um had an awesome squadron xo you know like this xo um he was major paul cradiger i think he is staring down soon to be hopefully one star paul cradiger here soon awesome guy also kind of took me under his wing brought me into like the unit i wasn't a chemo anymore i was a cavalryman first thing i needed to do was go like buy my stetson um and the thing that i heard in that unit all the time was mission men me and so that was kind of like the cavalry's way of like we've got a job to do but the other job you have to do is take care of people because that's the only way we're ever gonna like get to victory and uh, that has like still instilled with me today is like in every, in every job I've had, I've still been like mission in me, mission in me, you know, like what do we got to do by the end of the day and are the soldiers okay? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, leading into to 2012, um, you know, I, I was reading that you, while you were there, you also aided while you were in Afghanistan, uh, you were in Kandahar, correct? Was yeah, we uh, got there May two thousand eleven. So uh, you had also had some managerial hand in in newspapers, right? You uh, dealt with a little bit of uh, newspapers even while you were you were deployed, right? Media, yeah. So pamphlets, it would have been mm -hmm. um, part of that information operations, information warfare effort. Um, got to Afghanistan or before Afghanistan, I knew I was going to be into like non-lethal, non-lethal targeting and um, kind of like the governance side. And so a lot of KLEs, a lot of like, who are the people we need to influence? Who are the people we need to make friends with? You know, like who are the local power brokers? These guys are like the local warlords, right? Um, and part of that was a radio and like a pamphlet campaign to counter whatever the Haqqani or Taliban narrative was. Um, 
and that was with the psyops folks and so i had a small psyops team that i worked with that's awesome and so did that you know inform did that experience inform any of your you know obviously it's a very different job you were doing information operations but did that kind of like rekindle your respect for the journalism world or does it how, how did that make you feel was there a connection at all uh, yeah i think man and we could spend a couple hours talking about this but the one thing that we always talked about was like first with the truth you know like regardless of what was on that pamphlet regardless of like what the radio message was it had to be true you know like it was always targeted right it was always we always had some other alternative motive we what we thought was good you know to counter whatever the haqqanis the taliban were saying um but it was important for us to be truthful right like the haqqanis and taliban like constantly were like lying about casualty numbers or their victory in a battle or you know a whole array of things that can happen in you know like a government in like a candor size government um we made it kind of like uh you know like some like i said already like first with the truth like everything we had to say like had to be factual you know like people are smart right like people will see a pamphlet or hear a radio message or they know what happened in their community right they know if like the taliban had a successful mission or not or if we did or if we lost a soldier or if we killed a civilian we shouldn't have like people figure that out you know like you can't hide it yeah um and so kind of a similar lane going on a, a little bit of a different avenue you know going to to afghanistan with that lieutenant class that you were you were with you had built that rapport with with 110 you know you were the, the combat camo um you know, did you, did you feel comfortable going? Were you, did you feel, you know, you had a good group of people that you were, you were with? Um, what were the kind of the feelings leading up to it? And um, did those go away once you were there? Talk a little bit about that experience here, the lead up and, and into. Yeah, a lot of JRTC rotations. Um, <laughs> everything from working with civil affairs and, J and the PSYOPs guys at JRTC to um just feeling empowered by the senior cavalry leaders to like make sure we were getting out the door you know like make sure you know like there's all this silly stuff you have to do to get out the door from like packing connexes to making sure shoulder soldiers have their shots and like managing all that or being a part of that and like watching that happen certainly is a very empowering feeling and by that time it was early 2011 you know like coming into May, 2011. Uh, and the feel, the feeling I remember having was like, man, about damn time, you know, like finally getting out the door to like, go get in this fight that I had thought was so important for so long. And, you know, now being on the other side of that, what do you, you know, as the, the drawdown happened in August, you know, we're dealing with a lot of the, the ramifications of that, um, especially with a lot of the special immigrant visa eligible Afghans that may still be in Afghanistan and, you know, all the, all the tertiary issues that, um, you know, second and third order effects coming out of that. What, what is your perspective on it now? Second and third order effects, man, there's a targeting term I heard, heard in a while. Um, I thought the war was coming to a drawdown in 2012. Um, 
we were closing small cops in the city in 2012. Um, the unit replacing us was certainly taking on fewer pieces of infrastructure than we had in the city. It certainly felt like things were going to be over soon. Um, frankly, I probably would have stayed in the military longer had I thought the war was going to go on longer, which sounds awful now looking back, but I, like, I'm trying to like put myself in that place in 2012, 2013, when I was making those decisions to get out. Um, to, you know, like maybe echo a feeling from earlier, like about damn time that we ended that war. Um, I don't know what staying would have gained the country or gained us. We had certainly had at one point routed the Taliban. We had at least put the Haqqanis on their heels. Um, that wasn't happening anymore and it wasn't gonna happen without another escalation of troops, you know, another Obama 2010, 2009. And so, decisions had to be made. And I think, I think thankfully we were out the way we got the, you know, like the way the administration's handed the war off, you know, certainly could have been a lot better. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm glad that war is hopefully behind us. I certainly don't think the war on terror is over though. I mean, we're still flying drones over a lot of countries and deploying soft forces to a lot of countries. And so, you know, 2000, circa 2012, Jeff, right? He's there, he's back from Afghanistan. You know, you're thinking that you're having thoughts about the war being over and you're looking at your next steps. You know, what were the things that came to mind to you um, as you were trying to transition out? Man, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I like knew I wanted to get out of the military and that was as far as I had thought. Um, and that is my own mistake. You know, like arguably, I hope the army is doing a better job of grabbing people by the collar being like, great, you've like served your country, you've done your enlistment or you've done like your tour duty. What are you doing next? And like, how can we help you? And I know like the VA has got a lot of resources for that, but like the, like the flash to bang, you know, on those resources, it's, it's sometimes a miss. And I felt like I, maybe through like my own thick skull wasn't listening to whatever those resources were or wasn't aware of what they were. What, what um, you, you I didn't know what I wanted to do. I don't think I was in a place to listen to like someone to tell me like what I wanted to do either. And it took, it took a few years and it took some therapy and it took a lot of reading books and finally get on my feet. Can, can you, and I, I, I press this because, you know, there are going to be people who are listening who, we're in, you know, Jeff circa 2012 shoes who are there now Yeah, to get out and they're faced with the same resources, right? Yeah. Um, you know, what would you tell them that you, if you would have done something differently with those resources, like explain a little bit more of the. Yeah. I, I mean, I've certainly benefited from the VA and the vet and vet centers and vocational rehab um, since getting out. I probably didn't, I'm glad you've like pushed on this. So it's given me another chance to like think about it. I probably wasn't willing to listen. I probably didn't know I needed help. 
I mean, I know I didn't need help. It was, it would be a while before I would walk into the Manchester, New Hampshire vet center, just utterly hopeless and not knowing what I was doing and not knowing what I was feeling and just feeling angry all the time. And, uh, Jamie, if you ever listen to this, thank you for, you know, like saving my life after a couple of years of therapy. Um, I'm certainly here because of the vet center in Manchester and people, good people wanting to take care of me. Um, I would encourage everyone to read like Brian Kastner's The Long Walk. If you haven't read that, um, read it before you get out, read it when you get out, read it a year later, and then like knock on the door at your local vet center and say like, I, I don't know if I need help, but like, can we talk? Um, and then, and go to the VA. I think like I have had a lot of success with VA. I've had good vocational rehab counselors that were like, you know, I said, I wanted to go to journalism school. I wanted to be a journalist. You know, like I knew like that was something I thought I could be good at. It was something I was really interested in. It was something I was passionate about. And they like helped walk through the process to help like get some funding to go to grad school and get some counseling while I was going. Um, and none of that, none of like where I am now would be possible without those resources. And so they're available to you, I guess is what I would say to people getting out, use them, use them wisely, like listen to counselors, listen to your friends, talk to your other buddies that have already gotten out and like how they made it work. Um, I know I had a lot of friends that were going to business school or like, you know, like also going to other universities to get, you know, essentially retraining, right? Like you need to find a new MOS, go get trained. Um, and I think it just took me maybe too long to figure that out. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit more about J school because you did go to Columbia. Um, but I think an important thing you mentioned up at the top was the idea of defining yourself by an organization. You know, you, you finally found your home in journalism and it's, it's easy to define yourself, but there's that transition period that no one likes to talk about where you have to shake one identity and then go and look for another one. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what that was like? Because it's, it's certainly a universal experience for military members getting out of the service to have to, you know, potentially shake that identity and, and adopt a new one or find their own. Um, and it's not, it's not always easy. Um, you know, a lot of people don't do well with that. Yeah. I, I probably, I like ran out the gate essentially, you know, like I got rid of a lot of stuff. I got rid of my uniforms. I kept my patches. I think I kept an Afghanistan flag that I had while I was overseas awards and stuff. Of course, they're like in a box somewhere, but like I purged a lot of my life of my military identity um realizing that I was just like angry and like doing it like a kid like an angry kid you know I think I drove out of the gate listening to Hayes Carl's K-Mag Yo-Yo you know like if you don't know what K-Mag Yo-Yo is you can google it um (laughs) um but uh I have like leaned into that now I've realized like the military has made me a better person or is it like at least made me the person I am today um maybe not a better person but it certainly like helped me get to where I am today uh I think I'm a good manager I I hope I'm a good manager I feel like I've got like a larger perspective on things that 
um, those awful staff officer assignments that we all have to do when we're young lieutenants that like help foster. Um, so yeah, I think there's some good things. There's certainly been some like financial help. Like I've got some disability, vocational rehab helped get me through J school without too many loans. I've certainly got some. Um, but again, like I, I didn't know what I needed. I, I wasn't ready to listen to like what I needed. And I hope like as people are getting out now, it's like figuring out like what they're going to do next in their life. Like, no, you need help. No, there's so many resources out there. No, there's a lot of people that care about you and just like have like the patience to listen to them. Mm -hmm. And so, so talking a little bit about your the new identity, the new home, um, you know, before you went to J school, you spent a lot of time doing a different job, right? You were in. Um, yeah, I worked in state government in New Hampshire. Right. Yeah. And it was essentially a chemo in New Hampshire. I worked in, uh, yeah, like WMD and like, you know, like planning essentially. And so, you know, you got, you go, you're there, you go, you get the help you need vocational rehab um, program, which if you don't know, and what you've alluded to is the VA's way of helping veterans transition into um, new jobs. And just to kind of put an anecdotal uh, misinterpretation of that, you know, the VRE um, is, you know, a lot of people think it's just for, for like trade schools um, for, you know, uh, you hear HVAC a lot, or you, um, you know, welding, plumbing, anything like that is is kind of the misconception about that but you you used it in a different way right yeah i went and got a master's at columbia university um and i remember i it's funny you bring up like the welding and hvac you know like the, my voc rehab counselor was like man this is you know like kind of different than how a lot of other people use this because there's not like a there's not like a cap on the money, right? Like, it's just like, they find a program that you fit and like that you qualify for. And then you, they like help you through it. And that doesn't mean you can't use it on HVAC. Like if you want to go get into a trade, like go get into a trade. There are so many awesome trades that like, I wish I knew more about that I don't know about, but this is the path I've chosen. I'm really glad about it. Right. But it's like the, you know, you're, you're an excellent example of how the misconception about that program yeah is that it's just directed towards um you know specific uh, like a handful of specific trade skills but really you know you can use it for anything like going to columbia so can, can i talk yeah. a little bit about you know columbia? and it's different than like the gi bill because i've it's been a few years now but uh, like it has to be somewhat connected to like you need to be like some kind of service connected disability mm -hmm. uh, and so like that's like where the retraining is like sorry we screwed you up you know like let us help you get back on your feet. So tell us, tell us a little bit about uh, Columbia. Columbia was great. So I, like you, like you had said, I, I had actually had a really good job. I had like what could have certainly been a career working in emergency management, public health emergency management in uh, New Hampshire for state government. Um, enjoyed it. Didn't think it's what I wanted to do. Really was thinking a lot about journalism, reading a lot about journalism and came across Columbia's journalism program. Um, it's a really great program. They 
take a mix of people that have never done journalism and people that have like excelled in journalism and kind of like throw them in the same classroom. And I certainly was going to be like someone that didn't know how to write a lead or write in a graph and then was going to be in dumped into class with people that were doing it professionally um, with hopes that like we all brought like our different and unique backgrounds to the classroom. Um, and so I got okayed for voc rehab. I like, I told myself I was just going to apply to Columbia and I'm like, if I got in great, like that was going to be it. Like that would give up my, you know, I'd, I would change careers again and move to New York city. So I did, like, I remember being really emotional and really excited when I got like the acceptance, um, it quickly turns real and like how much things are going to cost. So like moving to New York city is not cheap. Um, yeah, but I like the military Columbia, who is actually really good to veterans. They like, um, reached out to me several times while I was there to like, see how things were going and like wanted me to talk to people because I was a vet, you know? And so, which was nice. Um, but certainly a part of like why I am here today, you know, like I got my first job out of journalism school because I was a Columbia graduate. I got my second internship at a, I got my second job because of people I met along the way. Um, it certainly opens doors for, of opportunity. And there's like certainly a class problem there, right? You know, like people that can afford to go or like get into schools like that, like the doors open up for you that I'm not sure they would have at somewhere else. Um, so I feel super grateful to have like had a chance to like be a part of that. What's the, you talked a little bit about it, but what's the, what would you tell those, those people why it was worth it for you? It was worth it for me because I didn't know what other opportunities were. Um, I didn't know about like MVJ like back then because I wasn't in the journalism community yet and I like hadn't done enough of thinking of like are there other veterans doing this um, it was great for me because I think it also like let me take a knee you know like it, like it was a year and a half of not working or a year of not working um, which I had not done in a very long time since probably undergrad and just going to class every day and getting to work on a thesis every day. And I mean, you can work seven days a week and you can work your ass off while you're there, but like, it's school, right? Like, it's not, it's not like, it's not like going into an office. It's not sitting in board meetings, you know, like it's, it's school. It's great. It's fun. And you're learning all the time. You're meeting great people and like, you're getting to go to cool events. And um, so, yeah, it certainly felt like a breath of fresh air for me. And I needed that, you know, like probably in my core as much as I need it as far as the education was, as much as I needed the education. And I certainly needed the education too. Um, I'm not sure, um, kind of like AIT or like your MOS school, like you're drinking from a fire hose all the time. You were just like constantly consuming information while you're at J school. And so I think that speeds up the education process. Whereas if like you're doing it on your own or you're freelancing or you're getting grants, you know, like that stream of knowledge and that stream of information might be a little slower. Can you, can you tell us about your first job out of J school and, and how you got it? Because I, I, you've told me the story before and I really love it because you essentially did a 180 geographically 
and um, moved away from New York. So tell us a little bit about that. I did. Yeah. After spending a year living on the Upper East Side, I um, packed up my bags, bought a Subaru out back and drove to Anchorage, Alaska, um, which is awesome. Uh, David Holland, Vicky Ho, the two editors up there that hired me and then worked with me while I was up there. Um, really cared about me, really talked to me over and over and over again while I was in New York. Cause it's a big move. You know, man, it's like a huge geographical move. It's like a, a place that is not like New York and it's not like New England. And it's away from a lot of people and it's away from like a lot of convenience. Not that there's not a lot up there. Alaska is great. I'd move back up there. Um, but David, you know, like I remember walking up and down blocks of New York while just spending a couple hours on the phone with David Holland, the editor in chief up there talking about Alaska and talking about journalism. Like I was a baby journalist. Like I, I had, you know, like was just a few months in of understanding like how story structure worked and they had some ProPublica money because they were working on a couple of projects or a project with ProPublica and had an opportunity to like pick up me as like a six month intern, essentially, um, while giving me like a, a fair wage and getting me across the country. Um, again, very thankful for that opportunity. Not something, not an opportunity I would have gotten had I not gone to J school. Um, I don't, I don't know if being like an old man in the journalism, like an old man in a young kid's closing in the journalism school and in the journalism industry helped, you know, like I was kind of like a more mature guy instead of like moving up there as like a 22 year old right out of undergrad. And so I'm, I'm 35 now. And so like I was, you know, in my early thirties then. And so I don't know if that helped or not, but it certainly helped with my perspective at school and as I was looking at places to work and um, yeah, Alaska was great. I mean, it seems like the reason I love that story is because it's, you know, you got to live the, Hey, what if I just kind of dropped everything and went West dream that a lot of people have uh, and you got to do it and you got to be a journalist while you did it. And, you know, I want to know, like, especially as like, as you put it, a baby journalist, like going into the, going to Anchorage, working for that paper, you know, what was the first story that, you know, stuck out to you? Um, and you were like, wow, this is, this is my home. You know, this is, this is where I belong. Um, man, I'm not sure I ever felt at home in Alaska. Uh, there were so many really talented journalists and uh, people up there just, you know, like really embrace community. And I think moving from the outside, especially temporarily, um, is kind of like, it's hard to like, you, you can't figure it out in six months. I appreciate that you, you know, cause like it, it's probably common for, it is common for a lot of, you know, new journalists to get somewhere for their first job and they don't immediately feel at home. Um, so I appreciate you kind of talking a little bit about that. Um, obviously you say you work with amazing people and you appreciate the opportunity, but, um, I did love Alaska. Like I, I like went back up there for vacation this summer and by vacation, like, a, you know, like a long four day weekend, um, and, and would go back next weekend, given the opportunity. Um, maybe one day I'll get a chance to go back there and work 
um, it's a really special place. Got to cover a wide range of stories, everything from a veterans memorial on base to, man, just too many plane crashes to cops to um, the Lawless project with ProPublica and Kyle, um, which ultimately won a Bolzer, which was pretty awesome. So just uh, so many opportunities that, again, that I wouldn't have gotten without J school that I wouldn't have gotten without David and Ficky supporting me and like encouraging me to move and like giving me the opportunity to. And I also want to touch on this too, because it's from, from knowing you before, it seems like it's such an important, you know, part of who you are, but, you know, being an outdoorsman, right. You know, living in New Hampshire, um, you know, going to Alaska, now you in Utah, there's so many opportunities to do that. Was there, was that something that you had always had or was it something that you gained along the way? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I grew up, I grew, I grew up in rural Ohio, like hunting and fishing with my dad and my uncle, my uncle Denny and my uncle Ken. Uncle Denny was a high school, or excuse me, a middle school science teacher right beside my dad, who was also a middle school science teacher. And for a lot of growing up, he was like my other dad, you know, like that would let me go hunting and fishing with him on the weekends. Um, didn't do a lot of that in college. Like didn't do a lot of that my first couple of years in the military, but really got into fly fishing when I got back from Afghanistan. Um, it was kind of a way to like get away from everything, you know, like get somewhere where my cell phone wasn't going to work. Um, you could hike too. You could like hike up to like high mountain lakes in Colorado, or you could hike up streams just like I do here in Utah now. Um, but it certainly like is a way to like feel at peace again. Um, and it's, I've certainly used fly fishing as a coping mechanism as a healthy one. I think, you know, like there's certainly a lot of less healthy coping mechanisms that we've all participated in, in probably different quantities, but uh, this has been a really good one. It's actually what I wrote about for my entrance essay to get into Columbia. I wrote about kind of like my drive through New Hampshire to get to a river to go fishing and like how different parts of that drive reminded me about growing up and about the war and about, um, about why it was important to like get away. And like, just, yeah. So it, it's certainly a part of who I am. I wish I had more time to do it. You know, like part of me is like, thinks like, ah, I want to throw it all away and just go write for Drake magazine or hatch magazine and be an editor there and just do fly fishing stories. But maybe when I get a little older. Well, it's in, I think it's important because to mention that, because especially for the very small demographic of veterans who are in journalism, lowercase, um, you know, it's something that's not talked about is those, those outlets that are, are so important outside of, you know, being a veteran, outside of being in the media, because it's all, you know, a professional discussion, but, you know, those are two hard fields. And like you'd said, you know, there was a, when you went to Columbia, there was a period that, um, you know, a year that you didn't really have to work, obviously you had to go to school, but I feel like that's, that's also a common thread with a lot of people in this profession, especially who've who are veterans coming out of military uh, experience is, you know, there's always like a, a drive to go forward and less of a conversation of like, Hey, how are we 
you know, what are the, some of those healthy outlets um, that we're using to, to kind of take care of ourselves? Um, does, that, does that ring true to you? Do you, do you feel like that's a, a common thread in this, in this group? As far as, you know, there's a, there's a focus towards the professional aspect, but less of a conversation about like, hey, what are we doing to take care of our mental health? Like even, even outside oh. of the military or outside of veterans and journalism, there's post-COVID, um, you know, there's a huge, there's, you know, the term newsroom burnout, right? Um, you know, yeah, totally. less of a, the, the conversation about what journalists are doing to take care of their mental health is, is coming back out. Um, and I think that, you know, for people like you and for people who are in the lowercase veterans in journalism community, um, that's a conversation that I think we're kind of ahead in a little bit. Do you agree? I, I am certainly, I, I will only speak virtually. I am certainly more cautious of it with me and my coworkers and my boss, you know, like, you know, like there is work that has to get done at the, end of the begin at, at, at the end of the day and at the end of the week. And like at, every weekend, there's still like a big newspaper to put out. Um, back to that Calvary saying, you know, like mission men, me, right. You know, like mission still first. Um, but men's next and me is next. And uh, yeah, I think like it's, I think talking about mental health, at least in the veterans community after you get out is something that everyone's talking about at least everyone I know that is talking about. Um, and it's just like something you're supposed to be doing. Like, it's good for you. It's good for your health. You know, like it's like, it's as, it should be as normal as PT in the morning. You know what I mean? Like it, it needs to be something that we're all capable of talking about. I think you and Kelly Kennedy talked about this a little bit about like stigma and I feel like that's going away. And maybe it's just because like, I've like leaned into the vulnerability of it more and have embraced it you know like i encourage other people to go get therapy um but i think in the journalism world i don't know there's certainly both cultures there's a culture of people that like are leaning into it and wanting mental health to be something we care about and i and i also certainly work with people that like just want to work hard all the time and like it's a hard it's hard to manage like where the fine line is between like letting these people work if that's what they want to do and like making sure they're like taking a Friday off here and there. Right. And, you know, this was, I'm glad this was such a good transition to talk about your role as an editor at the Salt Lake Tribune, because, you know, that's, as you said, that's a perspective that, that you bring, um, you know, taking care of your, your team. It's very different um, from being, you know, just a, just a reporter. So tell us a little bit about your role as, as an editor um, and a little bit about what, you know, the Salt Lake Tribune is to you. Yeah. So I, I work for like a managing editor. Um, so I'm like the junior editor on the team then. Um, he's the one who gets to make all the decisions on who takes time off and when they take time off. And, um, but it's, but it's a conversation that him and I are always having about like, who's working too much, who needs a break, like who had a late night last night. And he and I like are starting to do a better job for each other of like, I was editing a story or like he, let's say he's editing a story at eight or 9 PM last night. Well, I'll grab the morning meeting and you can sleep in, you know, like sleep until seven, you know, <laughs> um, or at least, you know, like drink some slow coffee instead of like going to the first morning meeting. Um, and so like, we talk about it a lot. Um, 
with no one in the newsroom, it's like a harder thing, I think, too. Like you're not getting to like look people in the eye all the time. Or like you do in the military, right? Like every morning you get to see some like your team in like a PT formation and you get to see them at like a at a at a meeting and you know, like giving out orders in the morning. And so like you kind of like get to look everyone in the eyes. Like we don't have that opportunity now because of everyone's gone and like working on Zoom and it's a lot harder to like kind of assess people just visually. Um I think what I've been trying to do is like make sure people are like asking themselves, it's like, do you need time off? Like, what are you doing? We have like a busy week coming up. Do you need a three-day weekend? You know, are, are you okay? Um, and I think that's like, at least that's a start. I hope it's a start um, as far as checking in on people. Obviously this is, this may be hard to answer because it's a hypothetical, but do you think that if you didn't, have your military experience, you'd be attuned to those needs of your team as much as you would be if you, um, if you did now? Um, I mean, definitely a hypothetical. I, I under, I feel like I understand the importance of mental health one, because I am a product of lots of counseling. Um, and two, because yeah, like I've seen military friends and people I've served with that have struggled with it and have or haven't gotten through it you know and we all want to like help everyone get to the end do you think it's easier for you to kind of know those signs of burnout or you know mental health crisis that someone's going into because because of your experience with that I haven't seen it yet in journalism um and so I haven't I haven't come across any journalists that I thought man like we gotta make sure this person's getting help so but I hope so. You know, like I, but I, you know, like I don't know what my blind spots are either. Right. Um, so I, I want to talk a little bit more about your work because uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, you and your team at the Salt Lake Tribune produced this really awesome piece about the Oath Keepers. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh yeah. process and and I'll I'll interject this first just to kind of steer the conversation to our overall question. But you know, the conversation around those groups is at a national level, right? But you were able to bring it um, to the local level um, and explain it in a way that's that's important to your community. So tell us a little bit about that process in, in that lens of, you know, why, why it's important for the Salt Lake Tribune to do those stories. Yeah, so my editor, Grant, um, fantastic editor, really smart, really newsy, cares about people. Um, also a New York guy, or had spent some time in New York, saw the Gothamist WNYC Oath Keeper story, where they wrote a story about all the hacked roles that kind of came out and how those folks, how there's some people in NYPD. Um, we were able to get a hold of that hack roster from, you know, like the same roster from Distributed Denial Secrets. We were able to get a copy of that and then narrow it down based on Utah addresses and found out there was a lot, you know, there was several hundred people on that list. And so it, all that information had contact information and I just started calling people and we passed out the data to some people and like they started going through their sources to figuring out if they knew anyone and me and Jessica Miller, a Pulitzer winning criminal justice reporter here 
worked on that story to, um, for, I don't know, a week or so. Um, had a lot of really interesting conversation with veterans because that's like who the Oath Keepers kind of like cater to. Um, I certainly think like being a vet helped in those conversations. There was a few times where someone like a guy I'd be interviewing would have like an aha moment and they'd be like, oh, you're a veteran too. And which meant they were Googling me like while we were having a conversation, um, which was fine. You know, like I think in, in the cases where they found out I was a veteran, like it certainly opened up our conversations a little more. Um, yeah, just, but there's been a lot of those, a lot of similar with Keeper stories, like you were saying, like now nationally, like everyone's kind of like running on that thread. Um, there's certainly people that are in our community and that, you know, we pass in the bars and we pass on the streets as we go to work. So how do you start one of those conversations where you pick up the phone and you call someone, you ask them about, you know, their allegiance to this group? How do you start? I, uh, yeah, that's, I struggled with that too. Like how I was going to like jump in cold. And so I always tell people like, Hey, my name's Jeff Parrott. I'm a journalist at the Salt Lake Tribune. And then my very first question was, I have come into a roster of people that were allegedly on the Oath Keepers. Your name and your contact information is on that list. Can you tell me why you think it would be on that list? You know, like giving them the benefit of the doubt that like they were not one an Oath Keeper or two that they didn't sign up for it. And nearly everyone I talked to said, oh yeah, I had signed up at one point or time. Um, you know, like I don't want to accuse anyone of being an oath keeper or of doing something that they might regret you know like now and so I just wanted to be like an open conversation and like if you keep it open like they'll tell you why they told you when like they would tell me when they signed up or why they signed up which was good you know like it like it helped get those what could have been really awkward conversations going and, and for the uninclined um you know who who are the Oath Keepers, just so they have, there's context of, of you making these cold calls, essentially. So they're a militia, essentially, of veterans and cops and first responders of their, their right wing. They believe in the Second Amendment. They believe in the First Amendment, you know, like maybe in that order. Um, and they're oath keepers because they're referring to like the oath they took as veterans or as cops, you know, like raising their hand and saying they would defend the constitution. That's what they plan on doing. And so why is it important to kind of do a story on, on the oath keepers, especially at like the, you know, the Utah level? Why well, at the Utah level? Um, we found that these guys were cops and politicians and one guy who said you know like the the director of the department of corrections you know like who said he was no longer an oath keeper but he had been to some meetings with some oath keepers um or said he wasn't an oath keeper but he'd been to some meetings with oath keepers um and like these are the people that are running our communities these are the people that are keeping us safe and they hold a higher amount of responsibility in society than most people do. And I think it's important to know 
who these people are and like why they are so staunchly and maybe aggressively and violently defending their own interpretation of what they think the constitution means especially if they're cops and director of corrections and politicians right um so you know you're matching your experience as a veteran you know you told us like hey that as they're googling you as you're talking as you're talking to some of these sources um you know it helps open up the conversation and matching that with the national conversation and localizing it right you kind of have this marriage of like okay as you said like i'm at i'm at home with these with this process right i'm in i'm in a local community um i am a veteran i do you find that you know this is like a specifically local journalism is like a, a perfect place for you at least you know to start or for now or maybe forever man i hope so i really do like it right now i feel really a part of this community being a journalist in this community um it makes me i think care about the community more um whereas if i was covering you know i think like if i could cover anything else it'd be like covering congress or like covering the white house um which i would like for like all the silly political reasons and not for like the really altruistic reasons um but i do like that like the difference like we get to make a difference in local journalism and like it's i know that's really cliche sounding but i think it's true we're like um you know, like our stories have you know like this newsroom has put stories together that have helped change policing policies and so that just like this last week you know like every state is dealing with redistricting right now after the census and um our team has i think done a really awesome job of like covering redistricting in the state and giving it a local face you know like here in salt lake city was you know like we have four congressional districts so we've got four congressmen and two senators the the four congressmen now each represent a different part of salt lake city and so it's like diluting like the democratic voters and mixing them with like rural voters at a at a to a point that only ensures republicans will only be elected to congress here in utah uh, which is gerrymandering it's clearly gerrymandering and like you don't get to do that story i think as well as our journalists have done if you're not entrenched in the community um you can't parachute in you know like from a major outlet or from like a major you know like coastal news agency and know all the right players and know like who to ask and like know kind of like what the pulse of the community is without being in it and that's why, um, that's why I think it's important. That's why like, I really do like it. You know, it feels, feels worth it. it. Feels worth the time. It feels worth those like knockout hours. Do you do you feel that's because? Do you, would you say that? You know, any good journalist could fit into your newsroom, or do you think that because you're a veteran, this was like a perfect spot for you? man um no we've i i'm the only veteran i know about here um and i'm certainly not one of the best journalists here and so we have 
some incredibly talented journalists. And I think most of the people in this newsroom are just really, really talented journalists. And I feel pretty lucky to get to work with them. I feel like as a veteran, I get to come at it from a different perspective. Like, so like the Oath Keeper story is a really good example where like, I think my, I think I was, could easily talk to veterans who are on this list just because like we've all kind of like had the same experiences, but just like um, everyone has like different experiences and unique experiences and there's different ways to like make them valuable in your own newsrooms, whether you're a journalist or not. As someone who, who as a veteran who works in, in local media, what would you tell, you know, someone who's just getting started, who maybe hasn't dipped their foot in, in the water and wants to transition from the military into into journalism you do that you do have experience doing journalism and so um i actually like wrote this down as notes like everything that i do feels like a kle or feels like working in an s2 shop and so you're collecting data you're collecting information you're meeting with key leaders you know like kle's you're having key leader engagements all the time so like whether that's interviewing a brewer for a fun like bartending and brewer story I'm working on or whether it's talking with like the former governor and asking him how the current governor is doing. Like these are all key leader engagements for our community, right? Um, And at the end of the day, you've got to come back and you've got to ask what does it all mean? And you have to write a report and you submit that report to, you know, the community instead of just the S2 shop for the criminal to read. Do you think you can get that same experience doing these KLEs if you were, you know, part of a national syndicate? Yeah, I think so. Um, it might, and I, I don't know, you might have more insight on this. You, you work for a much larger institution than I do. Um, my experience has only been in local news. And so I've been lucky enough to be the ones getting to ask the questions. I don't know if you get the same opportunity if you immediately go to like a large national syndicate. For, so kind of, I wanna get a little bit back to our, our audience, you know, mm-hmm. military veterans in journalism. Um, and that, that's included people starting out, people who are well into their careers and, um, you know, people like, you know, Jeff circa 2012, who are, who want to get into that. Um, you know, I, it's kind of an everlasting question and I like hearing people's answers on it, but why, if at all, do you think it's important to have veterans in media? Hmm. I, think veterans man that's a really good question um i think veterans get a lot of real world and professional experience very quickly whether they do four-year terms or 20-year terms i think you live multiple lives during those times and with that comes some life experience and with that comes some perspective and with that comes some loss and some heartache and some really awful days and some really good days. And the veteran experience to me has felt like looking back has felt like life in warp speed 
where like you get a you get to feel a lot of things and experience a lot of things. The problem I think I had as a veteran was when life got back to regular speed and like understanding and trying to process what everything that was happening and warp speed meant and like how what what how I felt about it. But now that I like I'm at that place and like now after some therapy, I feel like as a veteran, I've been able to apply that warp speed time to what I do and everything to whether it's how I talk to oath keepers on the phone to whether it's the like a conversation I have with a senator or a congressman um, to looking at across the newsroom and trying to look people in the eyes and make sure they're doing okay. Um, being a veteran is, I hope, helped me do that better. Well, Jeff, I, I appreciate you being with us today. Um, as always, I want to leave room for, for you to talk about, you know, anything that you, you want to talk about that we haven't covered, whether it's uh, something you want to go back into or, you know, do you have uh, exciting news about Salt Lake Tribune that's coming up that you want to talk about? Any, this, is your, this is your time to do it. I'll plug the Tribune real quick. I know we are hiring for a couple of different positions. So um, you've got my contact information please send anyone to me that you think might be interested in working in local news. Um, I'm happy to have a conversation with them. I think for veteran, if, if I've got any advice, if, you know, like 2021 Jeff could talk to 2012 Jeff um, about journalism and about life, you know, nearly 10 years later, it would be to start reading and uh, start reading what other veterans are saying and whether that's in magazines or print. I think earlier I talked about Brian Kastner's The Long Walk that has like really hit me like at, at a core. He talks about like struggling with mental health and kind of like what that feeling is like. And he is now an incredibly talented author and writer, um, works for Amnesty. You know, he's doing some awesome things. And it's been inspiring to me to see like guys that are, are so talented also had similar struggles that I did and like understanding what those were. And so like, I, I, I hope people are like, getting out of the military. They're looking into like, man, just starting a new job or like getting into journalism, like take some time to acknowledge like what they're feeling and acknowledge how tough the last few years have been. And understanding that that's okay and that experience is going to help jeff thank you again for for being with us true thanks for having me of course um a couple mvj events that are coming up in uh, on december 2nd we're we have a special webinar uh journey through america's newsroom with some of our, our friends you may recognize um from uh local san diego tv station uh, so that's gonna be great keep it keep your eye out for um, for an event page and, and some emails on that. Um, and then uh, come springtime, we're going to have some, some workshops, some webinars um, that cover everything from entrepreneurial journalism to data journalism to investigative journalism. It's something, you know, you guys aren't going to want to miss. So thank you again and have a great day. You've been listening to Sword and Pen, a military veterans in journalism podcast. 